Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper podcast, where somebody's got to say it. My name is Patrick Hayes, and my guest this evening, guest, is Amy Odom. Amy, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Good. So, for everyone that is listening or watching, we were having (laughs) some audio video issues, and this is actually... Amy's podcast. So her podcast is called Self Subscribed. You can find it. I find it on Google Podcast. I'm assuming we can find it everywhere Apple, Spotify, wherever you find it. Okay. Everywhere you find a a podcast. So I am actually Amy's guest on this podcast. So it's her (laughs) podcast. You got it. She is going to do this. And we are just going to, we're, we're running it off of my side just because when we were fooling around with the audio and the video, this was the only way we could get it to work. Amy, I think I know what's going wrong. I think your mic is picking up my voice coming through your headset, and that's why I hear a little echo. That could be. Yeah. I'll move away. Anyway. Can I take a seat back? Oh, no, wherever you want. Yeah, you're, you're good. Okay. So, Amy, take it away. Okay. Okay. So weird story Mm -hmm. is how we met. First of all, I'd like to hear your version of it. (laughs) Um, Do you remember it? First of all? Yeah. It was like a five seconds encounter. Yeah. So yeah, I agree. I I was taking my nine-year-old daughter to Aspen, Colorado yeah, we're going to Aspen. We're going to this concert at mm-hmm. Belly Up, which is my favorite venue. If you have not heard of Jamestown Revival, I highly recommend them. They're wonderful. Okay. But I'm taking her to this concert. I had an extra ticket. I thought, I'll take my daughter. It'll be something fun for her and I to do. Mm-hmm. And I don't get to spend a ton of time with my kids. So this was like a special date for us. So we're driving down from Boise, Idaho, down to Aspen in one long haul. It's a very long drive. Mm-hmm. And we stop at a gas station in Fruita, Colorado. Were we in Colorado? You yeah, were in, we were in Colorado. You were, so it's basically the first real town, like a town that actually, yes. you know, you can see stores from the interstate kind of town. Yeah. Yep. It real, yeah. There was out of the desolate, there was yes. an oasis. You got it. <laughs> so you stopped to get so gas. I this, stopped to get gas. And this and creepy this guy approaches random you. Guy, this guy comes up and you said, uh, where in Idaho? Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, Boise, why? And then, you know, you had family or whatnot. And then handed me your business card mm-hmm. and said, I don't know if you guys can make it or not, but we have church on Friday and uh, this is a way that you can find out if you're going to heaven mm-hmm. basically if you want to talk more here's my number whatever and i'm like what just happened to me <laughs> what do people do this anymore do you do you come up to strangers often me yes yes so so not okay yes and no so mostly <laughs> I, I give those cards out to anyone i have a natural interaction with So if I had, so I, even though I'm a pastor of that church, 
I still work construction because our church is small and it's new and it, it can't support, you know, a, a salary to support anybody. Right. So I still work construction. So customers, people I meet at stores, Lowe's or Home Depot, you know, just in normal course of a day, people that I come into contact with, if it's a good interaction and I act like a nice person, then I give them <laughs> one of those cards and I ask them, hey, do you go to church anywhere? We have a church. We'd love to have you come and visit. Now, as far as strangers go, no, because there are so many strangers out there. You can't just stop for every single one, you know, to talk to them for a minute. So um, I felt like God was pushing me to talk to you. So that's why I stopped and talked to you as opposed to anyone else that was there. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit tapped me on the shoulder and was like, hey, she's from Idaho. Your father-in-law's from Idaho. Go ask her, you know, um, where she is, you know, where she's from. And, you know, it's an easy, whatever, icebreaker. You'll seem mm-hmm. less creepy that way. Sure. So, <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, th- so that was it, you know. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are plenty of times when I feel, um, you know, the presence of God just kind of nudging me to say, hey, you should talk to that fellow. You should talk to that lady, whatever. So you were the lucky person in Fruta, Colorado at a gas station just passing through and you got an invitation to church and on that card is a QR code, which did you scan it? Mm -hmm. I did scan it. Did you watch the whole video? It's a little long. No, I didn't watch the whole video. Oh, I knew you wouldn't. Nobody, nobody watches Well, I was driving, so I was trying to be (laughs) Okay, well, fair enough. On your way to Aspen with your kids in the car, no. But anyway, so on that card, there's a QR code that'll bring you to my YouTube channel, and it's a video of me with the Bible explaining what the Bible says about how you can know for sure that you're going to go to heaven when you die. Okay, so can I ask you a question? Yes, of course. Okay. I wanted to, because, so I've listened to all of your podcasts. Thank you. Yeah. Well, when you invited me to be on your podcast, I thought, I got to know something about this lady. I don't, you know, I don't know anything about her. So let me listen to our podcast. Well, and then I found out that this is your first season. So I was like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. It's not like she's the Joe Rogan experience with 5,000 episodes. Like, you know, I listen to podcasts all the time. So I'm just going to listen to yours. So I would listen to one of yours one day, and then I'd listen to some others. And then the next day I'd listen to another episode. So Mm -hmm. uh, I did not, what do you call it when you do it on Netflix where you watch the whole season? I didn't binge. Binge. Yeah, I didn't do that. I just, I I listened, you know, it took me a couple weeks. That's good. So I went through. I'm better in small doses. Okay. (laughs) So I went through all of your episodes. So I listened intently and I wanted to know what type of church you grew up in because I think I could guess. Okay. Guess. Guess away. Can I get, can I have a few follow, can I have a few questions leading up to my first guess? Yes. Yes. As many as you want. Question number one, where did you grow up? East Troy, Wisconsin. Boy, that does not help. (laughs) Okay. Wisconsin's like this and Mm -hmm. I'm down to the corner. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Wait. So how far away from Indiana and Chicago? 
So Chicago was two hours south. Uh-huh. Uh, Indianapolis was like maybe five hours. Okay, so you grew up in a Baptist church. It was a Bible church. Okay. And then that was from when I was born mm-hmm. until like teenager years. And then, um, of course, there was political drama, yeah, um, as there is in very traditional type churches. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we went to a non-denominational type church, mm-hmm. which was more of your modern. They had a yeah. band yeah, yeah, yeah. on the stage. You know, there was praise and worship. Sure. Um, my parents did not transition well. My sisters mm-hmm. and I went first with our friends. Yep. Uh, and then my mom went, and my dad, very stubborn was the last one to go. And what I was talking about was your first church, your first church that you were in, that you were raised in. That sounded like Mm -hmm. a conservative Baptist church. So you had super conservative and they had Sunday school hour, Sunday morning, right? Then they had a church service. Then they had Sunday night church. There was a Wednesday night prayer meeting. (laughs) Yes. Right. Okay. Yes. You had a piano. You might've had an organ. You only sang hymns. Yep. Okay. Did you guys have any type of visitation where like people would go out on a certain day of the week and they would knock doors, you know, kind of like Jehovah's Witnesses and they'd pass out invitations to church and invite people? Um, occasionally. Okay. The, it, the town was really, really small. So sure. not. It wasn't as practical would. as if you were in a bigger city. Correct. Did you guys right. have a bus ministry? Where you had no. a church bus or a Small, church van where rural, you would... Rural okay. town. It was all like country people. Okay. So what you're describing is very much like the conservative Baptist church that I don't mm-hmm. want to say I was raised in because I wasn't even raised in a Christian home. Like I literally never touched a Bible till I was 21 years old. Like, wow. Yeah. Never prayed with my family, you know, never read the Bible, like... You know, it was nothing to do with Christianity my whole life growing up until I was out of college, you know, and that's when I first was given a given a Bible by a friend. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So you're what you were in sounded a lot like where I landed once I started going to church, which was like, like I said, like maybe 22 years old, 23. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I didn't enjoy it. I'll be honest with you. I dreaded Sundays. <laughs> I hated it. Well, and Wednesday nights was also yeah. a wanna club. Yep. So. Oh, okay. Went yep. through all that. Mm-hmm. So here's the yeah, thing. All of it. So our our church is an independent Baptist church, but we mm-hmm. are absolutely mm, kind of like black sheep of the independent Baptist church. You know, kind of. That's good. It's a loose, you know, it's, it's, so this is the funny thing. We are independent Baptists. So the idea is our church is independent from everyone else. Like there's no group. Okay. Yeah. But even so groups form, you know, and these churches all kind of get together and they kind of like send all of their kids to the same Bible college that they feel comfortable Mm -hmm. with and support. And then this group over here does the same thing. So we, even though we're right independent um we are definitely kind of the black sheep so we meet on friday nights which is weird but i love that i do too all of our people love it (laughs) you know we wouldn't change it it works yes it's real it's been really good for us 
Um, mm-hmm. We, I went to a church that was Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Every Saturday, we'd go out knocking doors and inviting folks to church. And mm-hmm. it was absolutely too much. So yeah. our family, we have six kids. We homeschool them. We live on a farm. Like I'm self-employed. There was not enough hours in the week and we could not fit into that program. It just didn't mm-hmm. make sense for us. And when we talked to the pastor about it, there was very little understanding or patience. He, we, we were met with, mm-hmm. you know, resistance and it did not work well. We ended up leaving there. You know, we were hurt by the whole situation. And then, you know, years later, boy, we're talking like six, seven, eight years later, um, my wife and I, you know, we started the church that, you know, I'm the pastor mm-hmm. of now. Yep. Good. And I get it. I'm, I was homeschooled also. Get so out of here. I totally understand. Okay. <laughs> when I tell people, they're like, wow, that makes sense now. Thank you. <laughs> that fills in so many <laughs> so gaps. Much. Yeah. Thank so you. Good. Um, no, but I get it. Like your life is full, mm-hmm. you know, and you don't want the one thing that should be the most important thing mm-hmm. to feel like it's a burden. Yes. Right. Like you're trying to do life. You're trying to do all these other things and survive. And then mm-hmm. on top of it, you have to go to church and it feels like a chore. Yeah. It feels like you are forcing yourself to go. And when you force yourself to go, you lose that passion. Mm-hmm that joy is gone. It dissipates because it's work. So I like that you can, you fit it into the real world. And I don't think that Jesus ever said you have to worship on Sundays. No, I don't think that's a rule. No, he, he certainly did not. So, so we support several foreign missionaries. Okay. We have missionaries Mm -hmm. in, you know, the Philippines and, uh, can't think of any place. Um, New Zealand and in, believe it or not in Romania and Ukraine. So we support missionaries okay. all over the place. Now, one of the missionaries was on a missionary team to China and it finally got so hostile that the whole team had to come home. Oh, wow. And when we started our church, we met in our home for the first two years mm-hmm. and then we outgrew it and we had to, you know, get a space that could fit the, the number of people that we had. So I when you feel like that's very biblical, Oh, a hundred percent, but <laughs> it is totally weird in America it's today. Super weird. Yep. It makes people feel uncomfortable. Yes. At first they're like, are you allowed to do that? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Did you really just ask that question? <laughs> like, are we allowed to do it? So anyway, we would have these missionaries come and they'd bring their family and they would, you know, the, you know, the dad would preach a message and they would show us a slideshow of what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And, and I would always ask them, I would say, Hey, you know, have you ever been to a home church before? What did you think? And most of them were like, no, I've never been to one. And you know, this is great. The one guy from China looked at me and he's like, Patrick, what do you think we did in communist China? We're not building church buildings. Like that's all we ever did. Yeah. This week we're meeting at your place and next week we're meeting at at his place. And after that, we're going to meet over there at her place. That was all they did. Mm -hmm. So for him, he's like, oh yeah, this makes me feel like home. This is great. Of course. Mm -hmm. Yep. But for America today, what people expect is something very, very Mm -hmm. different from what you saw in the first, Mm -hmm. 
not only first generation in the Bible in the book of Acts where they, you know, nobody was building a church building. They had, they were persecuted no. by the Jews. They were persecuted by the Romans. They were persecuted by the pagans. I mean, the Christians were outcasts everywhere for the first seven, 800 years. Like they, mm-hmm. you know, church buildings didn't exist. So that's all they were able to do. And you explain that to people and they're like, I don't know. Shocked. Yeah. <laughs> well, people, people go to church now and you go and you want to feel good. Right. You want to blend in with the crowd. Mm-hmm. You want to sing with everybody. Mm-hmm. You want to feel good when you leave. And being at somebody's home puts you on the spot. Yeah. It's, like a, you it's feel a little like you group. You should say something or it's it. uncomfortable. And, and, but why are people uncomfortable? Because they're worried about what other people are going to think about them. Mm-hmm. Mostly. Or yeah. their self guilt. I don't know. But it's, it makes it feel uncomfortable. People might hear me saying, actually, I don't blend in with the masses. You got it. A big enough crowd. So think of this, okay? You go to, so the the type of church that you described as the one that you went to later on in life in your teenage years, Mm -hmm. that was a church that in in that church, I'm guessing they would have two, three, four hundred people or at least seating capacity for that. Uh, I think it was almost a thousand. Oh, okay. So, 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 so that was, you know, the definition of your, your mega church. So if right. you go to that a mega the church, beginning of that era. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So a thousand people, I mean, that's a big place. That's you, big. if you want, you can slip in, you mm-hmm. can sit somewhere where nobody really bothers I you. Notice. Yep. Mm-hmm. You can get up and leave a second early while they're praying. Nobody notices. If you want to sing, you can sing, but let's face it, they have the audio video equipment where, you know, you're going to be drowned out and there are, we all sound good. Yeah. And there's like professional (laughs) musicians and singers up there. Right. So if you are the type of Christian where it's like, you know what? I want to feel like I'm a Christian. So Mm -hmm. I feel like I got to go to church, but I do not go ahead. What are you, what are you going to say? I was going to say that's what it is. It's that self-satisfaction of I mm-hmm. feel good because I did something. Uh, you checked you checked off a box. You punched the clock. I did right. my I did my duty. I can say I did my duty. I'm a mm-hmm. Christian. I go to church. I go mm-hmm. there every Sunday or pretty close to it. Nobody knows my name. I don't mm-hmm. have to get involved. I don't have to be intimate with anyone. I don't have to form a relationship or get close. Exactly. Whereas in the small church like ours and ours is different for, you know, more reasons than just we meet on Friday nights. So at our church, every single person sits at like a table. So, you know, those like, you know, eight foot by three foot white plastic folding tables that you see, you know, everywhere. So they make tables that are half as wide. They call them seminar tables. So you sit at this table, it's half as wide, but it's because there's only chairs on one side. Everyone is facing the same direction. So we have those everywhere. So people have a place to put their Bible and their coffee. And for us, it's a lot more like a classroom because people were used Mm -hmm. to sitting on couches and chairs and countertops in our house Mm -hmm. with end tables and whatnot. (laughs) So we're like, you know what? We're just going to do this. It's going to be like a classroom. I ask people questions. People can raise their hand and ask me questions at any time. Mm -hmm. People disagree. That's fine. Let's talk about it. You know, and our goal is let's all leave tonight 
feeling like we actually learned something about the Bible and we feel like we know more about God than we did when we showed up. I think that's perfect. You got to come visit. I I mean, Idaho, I don't think it's that far of a commute. It is not that far. Um, <laughs> hey, I'm taking my kids to Denver for Christmas. Okay. It's not that far, right? No. Another two, three hours to the west, and you're there. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Perfect. See? What's a couple hours? For me, <laughs> nothing. I don't mind driving. Okay, so. Maybe we'll do that. So, Denver. What's in Denver? Why are you bringing your kids to Denver for Christmas? Because it was the second cheapest flight that I could find. <laughs> so, uh <laughs> A long time ago, mm-hmm. I bought a ticket to actually it was Denver uh, with a friend to go to a concert. And mm-hmm. then this friend unfriended me. So I canceled my flight and I had a credit <laughs> with United that is going to expire on December 31st. Oh. So instead of letting my $280 burn, you can't do I that. You got to spend another two, no, $3,000. There you go. Get the kids tickets kid. and get a hotel and. Yes. You know, that, so, that makes good, jazz. that's just good sense right there. What else, but what else am I working for? Right. <laughs> that's my, that's my thing is going places with my kids. I'm taking them to, um, Olympic national park by Seattle for Thanksgiving. And we're going to Denver for Christmas. And mm-hmm. then in January, I'm taking myself to Portugal. Wow. Why not? I know. I found a ticket Round trip ticket to Portugal for five hundred and forty nine dollars, mm-hmm. and then an Airbnb for for something less. So it's like a thousand dollars to take myself to Portugal. Why would I not? Well, let me tell you, from someone that's been to Portugal, <laughs> it is beautiful. So I'm glad that I've you are. To go. I'm glad you're getting out there. I okay, to go. You know, that's that's my thing. All right, it's your podcast. Take what, what okay. direction do you want to go in? What do you want to? Oh know? gosh. We, who knows? I don't really plan. I wrote a couple of things down that just came to my brain. Yeah. Um, but you know, I don't, I don't plan. I did want to ask you though. Mm-hmm. I like questions just so you know to people. Mm-hmm. Okay. So say you came up to me in the gas station Yeah. and I was like, stranger danger, please don't talk to me. Mm-hmm. Who the hell do you think you are? You know, why do you get people who do that? Who just so completely not, flip on you? Not very often. And, okay. and here's the way that I, if I'm going to teach someone how to, okay, have you ever worked a job in sales? Yes. Okay. Have you ever done cold calling over the phone? Um, no. Okay. So thankfully not. <laughs> no. And, and that's fine. I'll tell you what, there's an art to both of them, but what you, what you find is it's no different when you are proselytizing. So you are trying to sell people Jesus, except it doesn't cost yeah. anything and it's good for them. But you got to remember the Bible and Jesus are very controversial and uh, some people get, you know, pretty upset and offended. So what I explain to people is think of it as the open door philosophy. You knock on someone's door, a stranger's door. They are going to crack the door open this much just the teensiest little bit Mm -hmm. okay you are not going to sell them anything they are already very guarded 
So what you're going to do is whatever you can. So you're going to take your little pamphlet and you're going to say, hey, we're selling, you know, whatever cookies to raise money for, you know, the sports team at the local high school. You know, here's a flyer and you slip it through the door and you say, have a nice day. And that's all you're going to get out of that person. And they forget you exist. Probably. But you got the literature in their hands. So maybe they buy yeah. some brownies. You never know. But when they open the door know. this month. Okay. So now once in a while, after you say, hey, we're raising money for the local whatever, they open the door more and they're like, oh, that's great. Let me see that. Okay. Now you have a chance to talk to them a little bit, explain what it's going to, and maybe you can convince them that they really want these brownies. Some people they open the door all the way and they just step right outside or they stand inside with the door totally wide open. These mm-hmm. are the folks that you can just, Hey, uh, my name's Patrick Hayes and I'm a pastor and I'm just getting to know folks in the neighborhood. And, uh, I would, you know, want to just give you one of these. It's an invitation to come to church. Are you guys new to the area? Do you go to church anywhere? They are going to answer all of those questions. Because they right. open the door all the way and they're standing there with their coffee like, hey, what's mm-hmm. going on? So you're going to be able to right. get somewhere with them. Once in a while, and more often with the door all the way open people, they will invite you in. They'll say, absolutely, I've been wondering about that. Please come and tell me about Jesus. Mm-hmm. I go into their dining room table. They pour me a cup of coffee. We talk Bible for 20 minutes. And then we both walk over to their living room and we get down on our knees at their couch and they pray and ask Jesus to save them. And they come to church the next week. So it's very rare that happens if they open the door a half inch because they're closed off. Yeah. And I've had some people open the door just to yell at me. <laughs> And like, that's, that's what they start with. And I just stand there with a smile yeah. and just fit, let them yell until they're done. And I say, look, man, I'm really sorry you feel that way. And obviously you had a bad experience somewhere, you know, uh, but I promise you, I'm not that guy, you know, so I'm sorry if I bothered you. Here's who we are. It sounds like you're not interested and that's okay, but I just want you to know, okay, that I'm going to be praying for you. And if I can ever be a help. <laughs> please give me a call. I'd like to be, you know, and And I think with sales, you can tell if people are receptive. Yep. I mean, like right off the bat, right off the bat. So when they're not, that's okay. You, Mm -hmm. you just try to leave them with a good taste in their mouth. So the next time, whatever, the next Christian that comes by, maybe they have a better shot. I mean, that's, that's, that's all I can do. Amy, if there was a button I could push to make people want Jesus in their life, I would be sitting at home pushing that button so hard and so fast that my hand would bleed. But, but isn't that the joy of salvation is you can't make people do it. You got it. It doesn't do exist. You got it. So all we, all I can do, I got to remember, all I can do is I can present it. And then it's up to them and God, I can't, I can't make anybody do it. And it's really sad because there are some people in this world that I really love Mm -hmm. and they want nothing to do with it. You can't force it. Nope. What do you think about these? So I went to church one time 
with uh, an ex-boyfriend of mine. Mm-hmm. And it was... Wait, he was already George. an ex-boyfriend? He was on his way. Oh, okay. He was on his way. <laughs> okay, it's almost done. It yet. Yeah. <laughs> but he is for sure now. Um, so I go to church with him because he asked me to. Mm-hmm. And um, so this church has several locations, right? It's got tons of pastors. It's got... It's huge. Okay. And so I go sit down and this massive screen up on the stage, they are advertising this like Sunday fun day type mm-hmm. thing. And it's like, invite your friends. There's going to be a fair. There's we're raffling off TVs. And I had never been so turned off in my entire life. Hmm. Like I tell me why, what are you thinking? It comes a point, well, because it was, it was gimmicky. It felt fake. It felt forced. It was like they're grasping, trying to get people to come in. And it's like, if people are coming in to try and win a TV, mm-hmm. do you think that they honestly are there to learn anything? Do they, do they care? Nope. I mean, you can try, right? And sometimes people just need that small seed planted, but it just seemed really cringy. There are a, there are a few philosophies. Okay, so number one, realistically, people should come to church. Okay, people our age should go to church because they want to learn about God and they have a desire to know about God and they believe that doing things God's way is going to be better than doing things their own way. Okay, and and this is the place okay. we go to learn about God. With that being said. There is a large segment of society that I am never going to be able to get into my church. They're never going to show up. But if I throw out flyers and I say we're having a 4th of July party, you know, in the park across the street from the church and we're going to have free hamburgers and a bump and jump for the kids and yada, 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 and I can get people to show up and just fill out a visitor card and I get their name and information and then I can go and knock on their door later and say, Hey, I was the pastor at that church. Mm-hmm. You know, you came by and you ate all our food. You know, it looked like you were having some fun. <laughs> you know, do you mind if I come in and chit chat with you over a cup of coffee? The idea is any amount of money we're going to spend to get people in the door, to make contacts, to try to bring them the gospel is worth it. Now, with that being said, do you know of the musician Norman Greenbaum? No. I guarantee you do. You know one of his songs. If you look him up, Norman Greenbaum, you are going to come up with one song called Spirit in the Sky. He was oh, yeah. okay. So you've heard that one, right? And and it's been in movies, and it, yeah, it's 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 a it's a really it's a great sounding song. Isn't that is that kind of like a hippie song, right? It is very much sounding like a hippie song. You got it. That's the yes. one. Okay, it's it's very catchy. Okay, so Norman Greenbaum <laughs> wrote another song called "The Day They The Day They Sold Beer in Church." And it's a it's a spoof. It's a funny song. And it was the day that everybody showed up for church. But here's the point he was making. 
where is that line where we're saying, you know, look, we're, we're missing the point here. Like we're not going to get a bunch of kegs, you know, just to fill the church pews. There's gotta be a line somewhere where we're saying, yeah, I, yeah, I don't feel good about this one. And it was a funny song because anyone that's been to church can laugh and say, oh yeah, I know, you know, my neighbor would come for that day, you know, or I could get my brother to start coming to church again, you know, if we served beer in church. So I totally get it. And I'll tell you this, our church doesn't have that problem because we're so small, we can't even afford to have gimmicks. (laughs) You know, it's not even a problem for us. So I totally understand, you know, what you're saying. And for me, if I could pay people 20 bucks a week to come to church for one hour, I would do it. I would work overtime at my job and hand out $20 bills all day, every day to get people to give me one hour so that they could come to church and they could hear the Bible preached only because then it's, then it's not by their own free will again. No. And keep in mind, I'm not going to pay them every week, but for me, here's, here's the idea. A one-time deal. You got it. Maybe twice. I don't know if they like it a lot, you know, they can come back. (laughs) But for me, the idea is I will do anything that I can, you know, within reason without, you know, bringing shame to my family, breaking the law or breaking God's law outside of that, within that framework and that box, I'll do anything I can to give people the gospel. I've tried lots of different things. You know, I've stood outside on park benches on Main Street on the weekends when there's a lot of concerts and people are going in and out of bars and walking on the street and I'll stand up there and I'll, you know, I'll just do street preaching and just people stop. And I've had many. Oh, okay. I've had one time I remember where it was a punk rock show and i mean like i didn't even know these people existed like the people that were coming like i have the ramones on my phone okay i have you know know, (laughs) some you know a janet jet song okay so you know uh, you know there are punk songs that i like no i am talking about the people that are unhireable based on the way they look and dress the blank 182 it is like over the top like how do you make it in society you know like who where do you work you have to work remotely over the phone like there's no way you go to an office looking like this (laughs) that kind of punk show okay so i'm standing outside on a park bench on main street and everyone's coming in and out because in the state of Colorado, we passed a law where you're not allowed to smoke in any building. Right. So everyone's coming outside every like 20 minutes, you know, to have a cigarette. And I'm standing on the bench right there preaching the Bible. So I have every five minutes, a new wave of 20 people laughing at me and making <laughs> fun of me for what I'm doing. So one of those times there was one girl who kept looking at me and when it was time to go back into the show 
She said, no, I'll be in a minute. And they turned their ridicule to her. They're like, what are you talking about? You're going to sit here and listen to this guy? And she was trying to, you know, easily and quickly diffuse the situation be like, I'll be in a minute. I just want to hear what he's saying. Okay. She stood there for half an hour. And when we were done, she got on her knees right there in front of God and everybody and prayed for Jesus to come into her heart and save her soul because she was ready. The fruit was ripe and all you had to do was touch it and it fell off the tree. And so for you standing out there that whole night yeah, and one person, oh yeah, one person is worth it. So here's the thing. If I, if I believe the Bible and if I believe that heaven and hell are real, then yes, absolutely. And the fact is if heaven and hell aren't real, then what am I even doing this for? Let's pile up the Bibles in the parking lot and burn them. There's no point. So for me, that young lady who I have never seen again, when she gets to heaven one day, she's going to ask around. She's going to be like, hey, you know, do you know where this preacher was that was on Main Street in Grand Junction? I need to find him. I want to thank him for, you know, taking the time and standing up on a park bench and getting laughed at and have things, you know. I don't. I couldn't even count the number of cigarette butts that were flicked at me when they were done smoking before they went inside. People but are so rude. They are. Some people suck. You know? They do. It's true. <laughs> And I think, so you've listened to all of my episodes. Mm-hmm. You would know that I no longer go to church. I do know that. Um, it It's not so much the church. Mm-hmm. It was the people. Um, <laughs> huge turnoff. It's, I mean, it's, a, it's a common tale. You can tale. take so much of the uh, hypocrite mentality, kind of the... I don't want to say bullying to a point, but phony Christians are bad. You know, the judgmental. Yeah. So here's, here's what you got to remember. Okay. And forgive me. I feel like I'm cutting you off here. Okay. No, you're not. So think, and I think I've heard you say this, but you know, the lesson hurting people hurt people. Yes. And that's what you ran into. You ran into some Christians in a church who were insecure and they were hurting in a lot of ways. And the way they could try to make themselves feel better is by blowing out your candle. And when they blow out your candle, their candle appears to be brighter. Now it's not. Their candle's no brighter than it was before, but if they blow out yours, they feel like theirs is brighter. That's why people do it. They feel better. And it's terrible. But I guarantee all of those people who have ever hurt you were hurting. And I would imagine if you looked back on it and looked at their lives, you would say, yeah, their lives were pretty lousy. And it's a shame that people run into those folks in church because... You know, out of every group, like, we're supposed to be the loving ones. Right. The place that, you know, I was supposed to feel safe and accepted was the one place I felt extremely rejected. Mm-hmm. The black sheep, somebody who was not wanted there at all. And that was in the small church. That was in the small church. It became in the big church. Oh, really? Um, Yeah. I mean, it was kind of my own 
doing because I started going down a path that mm-hmm. was not where I should have been. But, and I even, I had a meeting with one of the pastors and to talk to him and he's like, are you praying? Mm-hmm. Are you, are you coming to church? Are you tithing? Are you, and I'm like, I'm sitting here crying in front of you yeah. and you're just going, are you, are you praying? And I felt so much anger yeah. and it wasn't because he didn't give me the answers that I wanted to hear. Um, it was just, I knew the fault was my own, but when he put it in that way, like, well, you're obviously just, you're just not praying. I'm like, I, I don't know why I'm here. I came here for advice and for help. And I was a 18, 19 year old girl who had no one. I had nowhere to go. My family had stopped talking to me. Basically I had a job and a couple of friends left who were the wrong people. And I wasn't praying enough. So that was the end of that. And then after I got married, my husband and I, uh, started going to a church in Idaho and it was a startup. It was very small. They had this like a side of a, a strip mall type mm-hmm. of place. And um, we didn't have kids then. So we dedicated a lot of our time to help this church. And they told us that they no longer wanted our time, that they noticed we were not tithing mm. and that we were not giving our 10%. And my husband at the time said, I mean, we don't, we don't have that. Like we literally just moved to the state. We sold everything we had to move here. We're giving you our time. We don't have any money. And they're like, we don't, we don't want that. We need money for this church to survive. So we stopped going. Well, that's that? that second situation was not, was not handled well. Um, no, it was terrible. Well, and and it was. I mean, and that. So here, okay. Here's the thing. There's a lot to unpack. Here. No, no, there is, but it's good. I mean, and honestly, this is what you got to remember. My wife and I came from a very heavy-handed church that was way more controlling, you know, than it should have been there was definitely, you know, that was like an unhealthy part of it. Um, what we found was going through that and going through everything that we went through, we really learned a lot. And some of the greatest lessons we learned from, from that church and, and my pastor was don't do this. This is not how you handle this situation. Yeah. So there are several pastors who seem to think that they have an authority that equals God. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, they don't feel like they can just pray that the Holy spirit works on someone over time to get them where God wants them to be. They feel like they need to step in themselves and, and take Mm -hmm. care of it right now. And it's a shame because weak pastors and stupid ones. Okay, I'll, I'll add stupid ones in there too. But weak men of God hurt people. That's all they're ever going to do. And unfortunately, you dealt with that with the second or with the church that you guys went to, you know, when you were married and you went to Idaho. 
um, because the the way you got to look at it is is like this, okay? And the, I try to be on the far end of the spectrum. So one of my favorite attributes of God that the Bible the the Bible word that it uses a lot is called long suffering. So mm-hmm. even though from the day that the Jews left Egypt, they just spent a couple days you know, doing God's will. And then they totally rebelled and then got them back on track. And then they totally rebelled against God. And then God got them back on track. And the whole time God has talked about being long suffering. He would suffer their behavior for a long time. I mean, just infinite amounts of patience. Now, when it was finally time to like, okay, we're done with the carrots time to move over to stick. Let me tell you that stick was pretty sharp. But the point is God was long suffering for like generations. And nowadays, so many pastors have not learned that lesson. We somehow think that, you know, we can't just wait and be patient and allow God to work in somebody's life. I joke around all the time at my church, like most of the people are not doing a lot of things that I think they should be doing. And the Bible is very clear that they should be doing, but that's not my job. Again, I can't make people do anything. I don't have that type of authority. God does. God can make us do stuff. The government does. The government can make us do stuff. If we, if we don't like what the government comes up with, guess what? Okay. They can find us. They can throw us in jail. They have pretty serious authority. My authority as a pastor is the same as my authority as a husband. If my wife doesn't want to do what I ask her to do, that's the end of it. Yeah. it you know, it doesn't like there's no, there's literally no stick. So now as a parent, it's different. Okay, as a parent, I have an authority that is different because I'm not just going to let my kids do whatever they want. They're not allowed to eat Lucky Charms and Mountain Dew for breakfast, you know, every morning. That's that's not okay. I'm going to make them brush their teeth. I'm going to make them do things that I know is good for them, even though they don't want to do it. But when it comes to me as a pastor, my job, and this is this is where... And I'm sorry that you ran into, you know, some people that haven't figured this out, you know, and and people got hurt because of it. My job as a pastor is number one, to endear myself to my people. My people need to love me. They need to know that I love them. They need to know that I love God and I want what's best for them. And then when they trust me, they will follow me. But all the of them with any other relationship, it really is foundation. <laughs> if there's no trust, yep. you have nothing, no. you have nothing to go on. Yep. Your word will never be valid. Yep. It doesn't matter how right someone is. No. So unfortunately, you know, I mean, for me, Holy cow. If I could get someone that was like, Hey, you know, me and my husband, we're here. We want to help out. You know, what can we do? You know? And they're like, Oh, okay, great. We can help out with the kids once in a while. And we can help vacuum the church after the service and we can help make coffee, you know? And it's like, Oh, and by the way, we're flat broke. Cause we just moved here, you know, and we're not tithing. I'm like, I could care less. It's like, I'm ready to pay you 
to keep doing what you're doing here at the church. It's such a help. Like, you know, okay, great. You know, if, if you want to talk about tithing, come and get me. I'll be happy to chat with you and, and show you what the Bible says. But it's like, yeah. you know, that is an asset that unfortunately it wasn't looked at that way, you know, which, right. which is a shame. Amy, it sounds like you've had, you know, several lousy experiences at church. And if you start going back, you'll have a few more. Probably. Because <laughs> it's, it's people. But I, I do promise it's you. People. Yeah. There are some good churches out there with good pastors who love their people, who want the best for them, who are really going to do everything within their power, you know, to try to be a blessing to you and your family. I don't know where they are. I know one in Grand Junction, but obviously that's not much of a help to most people <laughs> in the world. I can't make it every Friday. You got it. And you know, there's a there's a big part of me that feels like I don't want to. I don't want to, I don't know if it's that I'm afraid. Um, sometimes it's the time commitment. I never gave up my faith per se, but it's like that old me doesn't exist anymore i don't i don't want to discount any of it and i don't want to say that it never meant anything and i know i would not be where i am today um by myself there's so many things that have happened to me recently that i i could never have done there's just no way i am proud of who i am and my work ethic and the things that i do but there's just no way that i'd be where i am by myself but then there i don't know church for me is like i can worship anywhere i go hiking on sundays a lot there's not a church here that's a friday night so <laughs> i don't go sundays are sacred to me i only have one day off a week usually mm-hmm. so i um i like to spend it with my kids or by myself okay so i'll tell you this if you were a member of my church and if my church met on Sundays, okay, I would tell you, you should spend that one day off that you have with your kids. Absolutely. I mean, that's a no brainer. Now, do I think it would be great if you could meet with a group of like-minded individuals at some time? I think that would help you. I think it would help anyone. But I would definitely not sacrifice my one day off a week when I have my kids, you know, to go. Mm-hmm. I, I, that totally makes but sense. Other people, other people would argue and say, mm-hmm. your kids need Jesus. And if you met them, you would be like, no, I agree. Yeah. Your kids need some Jesus. Well, <laughs> <They're here. laughs> and without knowing your kids. Okay. So here, here's something to remember. Right now, you are at the most popular age and demographic to go back to church and that is that you have kids and i think you said your daughter was nine she is nine and my son is seven okay so typically around that time people start thinking and they're like you know what i i would like my kids to grow up around church now Usually that's followed up with the following statement. 
I remember fond memories when I was a kid and it was a nice community mm-hmm. and our family. It didn't sound like you had that. Okay. Yours was no, a little but bit. It gave me a foundation of morals. Absolutely. Right. And things I know right from wrong. Sure. I, we, we both agree that there were good things that came out of it. Sure. So typically now this time in your life with your kids about the age that you, they are, this would be the time when someone would say, you know what? I think I should, you know, get back into it. Now that doesn't mean you have to. And personally, I think you're going to. I'm not saying like, not like this weekend or because of me. I'm not saying nothing. (laughs) Don't think of it like that. I'm just saying from when I hear you talk about church and God and your experience, I don't hear animosity and bitterness like I have from a lot of people. You've had some bad experiences and you can chalk those up to some dumb people. You, you are a lot of bad experiences in my life. My marriage was a bad experience. I'm not going to hold anything against anybody. I don't hold bitter feelings against anyone because they're all human and I'm human and I'm not perfect. And it doesn't sound like you have point. Well, and uh, along with that, it doesn't sound like you have animosity against God. I just, no. Okay. So here, here's the thing. Not only did you end up on the, eastbound i-70 exit at a gas station there are 10 gas stations within a half mile there are you ended up at one of them where a pastor was walking out of that gas station and i bet you there was a pastor walking out of another gas station somewhere else in fruta colorado but you ended up with the only one i don't know if i'm the only one you ended up <laughs> with one who takes very seriously the idea that when God puts pressure on him to talk to someone that he does it. And then after that, you find out, you know, just from that card that I have a podcast and you have a podcast. And then you decided, you know what, this guy might be an interesting <laughs> person to talk to. Maybe. And now you spend a couple of weeks you know, emailing back and forth and making plans for this night. And we're, we're on here for an hour talking about nothing, but your experience and my experience with church and God and the Bible and Christianity in general for an hour. And I think you've had a good time doing it. It's been super fun. So I see this not as a coincidence, but as God moving pieces around the chessboard, just very gently tapping you on the shoulder, reminding you every so often, hey, Amy, I'm still here. And you still know that I love you. And you still know what's going to be best for you. And God says, that's me. I'm going to be best for you. And I'm going to be back in your life. And it's going to be a great thing. And the whole journey all the way around is going to be something that you're going to be able to use to help a lot of people one day. That's what I see. And I certainly hope so. And I might be totally wrong, but I gave up thinking of or believing in coincidence a long time ago. That's true. I mean, do you think that there is one predestined plan for people, though? No. And Do you yes. think people choose their own destiny? 
Okay, so there's a couple things. So let's go over let's go over this idea. Let's, let's jump in. Okay. So let's start with my favorite thing to make fun of in the world, and that is <laughs> the soulmate. Oh, okay. I hate soulmates. That's okay. so gross. Yep. So and here's what happened. Yes. Romantic comedies have ruined mm-hmm. this whole idea. Right? Mm-hmm. This whole, you know, Disney fantasy perfect. So awful. Oh, it's ridiculous. Okay. Yeah. And I do not believe in any way that there is such a thing as a soulmate. I do believe that God who loves me wants me with someone who is good for me as opposed to bad for me. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, I think God would have said, Hey Patrick, you know, this is what's going to be good for you, you know, and it's going to be up to you. And while you are trying to find the woman that you want to marry, if you run it by me and pray to me, I will help guide and direct you in this quest because I love you. But there is no, think of the, just the mathematics of it. If there was such a thing as a soulmate and I don't marry my soulmate because I make a mistake because I'm an idiot. Well, then you know what I just did? Mm -hmm. I took someone else's soulmate off the market. So now they can't, (laughs) right? And now they have to settle for somebody. You got it. Okay. So now we're into this like back to the future looper, you know, time traveling fiasco. Okay. So, so it is, it is nonsense. What God wants for me in the same way with a job. Okay. There there are certain things that are fine and there are certain jobs that would be bad for me. And I believe God will help guide and direct. But at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. I've seen it where God's like, Patrick, I'm not telling you there's four of them out there. You've interviewed at them all. You've gotten offers at them all. Pick one. They're all fine. Yeah. You know, now, Good job. you got it. Okay, so now we transition over to big picture stuff, which is like God's plan. So there are certain things where it's like, look, the Bible predicted that a man would be born on a certain place at a certain time, and he was going to accomplish these certain tasks, and he was literally going to ride a donkey into Jerusalem on the exact day that was predicted almost a thousand years ago and it lays it out with such detail that it is an authentication device that's what prophecy is it's not meant to impress us it's meant to impress the source from which it came and it proves to us that the bible was not or could not have been written by man it had to be written by a supernatural force someone who is outside of time because it makes predictions with such specificity that it would be impossible for anyone to guess. Okay, so in that case, there are several things where God says, nope, this is going to happen at this time, this is going to happen at this time, this is my perfect will. I don't think that every aspect of my life is in that perfect will. There might be some times, but I really have trouble you know, believe in where God's going to say, nope, you need to marry that woman. You need to work this job. You need to live in that state. I really struggle with that because that's not what I usually see in the Bible. As a matter of fact, when I read the Bible, there are times when God says, okay, this is going to happen and a punishment is going to come upon this nation. And then a godly man or a godly woman or a godly family comes in 
and they obey the Lord and God says, you know what? It's not going to happen anymore. I'm going to put this punishment off for another 10 generation or no, I'm sorry, another Mm -hmm. 10 years or a decade because of your obedience. It's like, well, wait a minute. Did it have to happen right then? Or can we push it off 10 years? It seems like there's flexibility within this, you know, vast, amazing plan of God's. Well, and that's just it too, is, you know, if you're saying, you know, God wants me to have this partner and this job and Mm -hmm. live here and do this, and you're always questioning Am sure. I doing the right thing? Yeah. Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? And there's no joy in that. Mm-hmm. There's no fulfilling of life in that because you're always guessing. Mm-hmm. It's not a game. We were given free will. And I think the point of our free will is to live and enjoy and experience. And we're going to make mistakes along the way. Mm-hmm. And I've learned from my mistakes, I'm sure, as of you. And that's part of living. And if not making those mistakes, there's no way I could have ever helped anybody else. I couldn't have done anything with my life if I was always living and knocking these dominoes in place. It's never going to amount to anything. The legacy that I leave is not going to be my own. It's going to be, it could have been prophesied. It could have been, you know, some fortune teller could have said, no, this is Amy's life. It's written down because this is exactly what she has to do. And that's bullshit. Mm -hmm. That's so stupid. There's no fun in that. I don't want a life that's like, if you don't check off every single box in a row, you fail. It's game over. You've lost. And I don't want that. And I don't think that's the way that it is at all. I don't think there's a God that would say, well, you screwed it all up. I'm going to smite you. You know, you said something in there. You said, you know, I learned from my mistakes. And one thing that yeah, and, and I totally sometimes. agree. Well, and sometimes I have to make them a few times before I learn. But what I've seen in my life. OK, so think of this. OK, I don't know if I told you this or I don't know if you heard this through my podcast, but I'm a recovering alcoholic and drug addict. Yes. So a lot of people would look at that time in my life, which was horrible. I mean, mm-hmm. I was just a terrible human being. And they would look at it and be like, oh, that's so, that's so, you know, that's so terrible and you must regret all of it. And it's funny because when you read the literature in Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous, one of the promises of the program is that you will not regret the past. You will realize that it is part of what made you who you are. And it would it have been nice to learn those lessons an easier, softer way? Sure, but it didn't work that way for me. I had to learn some lessons by banging my head against some really solid things. And Do you consider yourself to be very stubborn? Oh, yeah. But That's I consider fine. myself to be very tenacious. Mm. Here's my question for you, Amy. What is the difference between stubbornness and tenacity? I feel like stubborn is when you act like a child and you stomp your foot and have a tantrum and say, I'm just not going to do this. And tenacity is having grit and passion towards something that you're doing and you're not going to give up. Okay. So I really like that. And one of the ways I explain it is it's the exact same philosophy, which is no, I'm not changing I'm doing what I'm doing and I'm going to keep doing it. So Mm -hmm. that grit is when 
you are in a difficult situation and people are recommending maybe this isn't for you and you're like no i know this is what i'm supposed to be doing i'm going to keep doing it it's the right thing to do and bada bing you see yourself through and it becomes a made for tv movie okay because you know you you were victorious <laughs> right and so then fun. and then stuff yeah <laughs> good for us and then stubbornness <laughs> is the same idea but we're wrong We should, we should have given up this time because it was a bad (laughs) idea, but it all, the only difference is the outcome. We don't know if we're being stubborn or tenacious until the whole event is over. And we look back and we're like, man, I was pretty stubborn on that one. I should have given up a long time ago. That was ridiculous. Or it's like, (laughs) Hey, got knocked down, you know, rise back up Phoenix from the ashes. Wow. And the whole thing worked out. I am tenacious boy. This is (laughs) so that's the thing is I really don't get to know whether I'm being stubborn or tenacious until the whole thing's over. And then I'm like, Oh, you know, and obviously with my addiction, that was stubbornness. I should have given up a long time ago. Like I cannot drink successfully. It doesn't work. There's no, no. So I'm 44 years old. Do you know that I've never had one drink in my life? Not one time. Have I had, what I mean is I've never only had one drink. One. You got it. Anytime I drank, I never stopped after one. I'm like, yeah, that's good. I think I've had enough. I'm just going to drive myself home and hit the hay. Mm -hmm. Nope. For me, after I'm done with that drink, I'd excuse myself and go to the restroom at the restaurant and I'd pick up two half empty drinks that someone left on a table (laughs) that hasn't been bust yet on the way to the bathroom and slug those down. Oh yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you if that grosses you out, I should stop telling stories now because it gets a lot worse than that. (laughs) I I was 21 years old in several bars. I can't say that I've never done that. Yeah. Yep. So, so clearly stubbornness, you know, I, I, I should have learned my lesson, but what I think is that God also, used some of my stupidity and some of my, you know, failures in my life to teach me some lessons that have helped a lot of people now today, which I don't think I would have been able to reach or help if I didn't go through some of that hell. Yeah, that's true. And I think, you know, you as a human, you can't feel sorry for yourself. Nobody made you do it. Nobody mm-hmm. said you have to drink this. Nobody, but you can, I don't want to say rise above because that's so cliche, but <laughs> you you also don't want to be proud, but you can say, you know what? I had this, this problem and I, out, out of this, the outcome was that I am able to help other people. I can communicate better with other people because of this. We have this, not a trauma bond, but you can relate to people. Yeah. You can empathize with them. You can, you can have those hard conversations, whereas other pastors can't relate. They can't talk about it. It's awkward for them, mm-hmm. you know. But you can get down on their level and say, "You're fine. I've been there. You're human. It happens, right?" I, I think you're. I, I totally agree. I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I, I, I totally agree. I am 
different than most pastors I run into. Obviously, when you and I, I'm assuming, when we think of a pastor, we usually think of someone who was raised in a Christian home, raised in the church, had a good experience yeah. with God and felt the calling. Went to Bible and school. You got it. Yeah. Went to, you got it. Yeah. That wasn't me. No. So, okay. But that's good because I, that puts you in a different bracket. Yeah. And, and yeah. Y- you ready for this? We have at yeah. least one, two, three, we have like a half dozen people in our church from 12-step recovery programs. Wow. Yeah. You know, and for a church that averages like 35 to 40 people, you know, that's that's a substantial amount. But it's great. Yeah. It's great. Because they have a safe place to go. Yeah. They feel accepted and like they're part of something. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's really good. I'm actually pretty shocked by that. (laughs) But isn't it... Uh, Jesus who hung out with the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the rejects of society who everyone else shunned. And he said, no, you're my people. Mm -hmm. You're who I want to hang out with. And Uh, I feel like in a lot of churches, they're like, no, you can, everybody's welcome. You can come hang out. But once we find out who you really are, then you're not welcome anymore. Or when you start hanging out with us, if you don't start looking and sounding like us pretty quick, right. You know, right. then, yeah, we're not, we're not sure. And you can come on Sunday, but don't hang out with our kids. <laughs> you know, like there's stipulations behind everything and there's these made up rules that people have for each other. And it, I think that's what I really have a hard time with is people aren't accepting fully. They're accepting on the surface. Mm-hmm. They're accepting when it suits them. They're accepting when other people are watching them. And truly in their hearts, they're not, they're, they're not the kind of people that they should be They're They're fake. And I have a serious problem with people who are fake. There's just no reason for it. Yeah. Maybe church isn't for you. <laughs> I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, I no, don't fit in. I've just, never fit in. No, I'm just joking. Look, I have not fit in in a single church I've ever gone to. And you got to remember, I've been a pastor for three years. Okay. I've been a Christian for over 20. So I've been in a lot of churches for a long time and I always stand out as the weirdo. That's been every single church that I've gone to. I'm fine with it. I've just accepted it. That's who I am. I don't fight it anymore. You know, it doesn't bother me because what I've learned is wherever I go, I get only one of two ratings. You go to Google. I don't care where it is for Patrick Hayes, my business, me as a pastor, me as a human (laughs) being, I get five stars or I get one star and that's it. I'm a weirdo and people love me or hate me, but so what does a one star sound like a one star is just simply uncomfortable with me being uh, legitimate. So I'm not, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm not good at faking it. I'm, I'm, I'm better at small talk, but I'm not great at it. Like I do a lot better with like, you know, let's talk about something like, what do you mean? No to religion and politics. Mm-hmm. Like what else is there to talk about? <laughs> you know, I like getting yeah, into, I get that. you know, real issues. Uh, I never get mm-hmm. uncomfortable. 
there is not a crowd on earth that I can be around where, you know, now I might not fit in and I might not say much because I don't know anything about what we're all talking about, but I never feel uncomfortable because I know who I am and I'm okay with who I am. And that's kind of the end of it. That makes a lot of people really uncomfortable because a lot of folks want the fake plastic facade because they feel safe with that. That's right. And they don't want to be uncomfortable. Correct. And if you start asking them real questions about who they are and how they feel and their opinions, and you're trying to get to know them, which let's face it, that's what a relationship is. There has to be some level of intimacy, even with friends. Yes. Okay. I have to let you see who I really am. Mm -hmm. That's what I do with, you know, with anyone, if they're going to be a friend. Okay, now let me ask you this. And I hate this preface. Okay, so I'm just going to say, I hate what I'm about to say. <laughs> just, just say it. As a woman, do you, I see, and I'm wondering if you see it, that so many woman to woman friendships are just covered in a plastic fake. facade. Fake. Like so fake. So 100% much. Fake. To like, I can't even hang out with my wife when she meets certain women. It just makes me want to blow my brains out. Hey, girl. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. That's not for me. Yep. Um, The one thing I say a lot about female friendships Mm -hmm. is keep your friends close and your enemies closer Mm -hmm. because that's what they do. And it's, it's always fake. It's always talking behind their backs. It's always um, keeping up with the Joneses, right? You have to be better than so-and-so. She's got new hair. She's got, did you see her house? It's so perfect and clean, but we can't support. We judge. Uh huh. And it's not, I'm not gossiping. I'm just letting you know what I heard her say. <laughs> gossiping. I don't care. I don't want to know. And that's, I work in uh, a field that's male dominated. I work in agriculture mm-hmm. and I told the guys, the, the men gossip. And I said, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't give a shit who you're talking about. I don't want to hear about it. I don't know them. I don't know. I don't want to know. Go away. There's not a single part of me that wants to spend my life talking about other people's drama. Mm-hmm. Unless they're going to hurt themselves and they need help. Don't tell me. I don't care. So no, female friendships are fake. And so, gross. so and I have a lot of female friends. Sure. And we're not fake. So I see that a lot of female friendships are fake, but a lot of women have lots of them. And for men, I see that plenty of men to men friendships are fake as well, but we barely yeah. have any. Like we, it seems like we only, if we're lucky, we have one real friend in our life. I think women, it's more of the popularity contest. So volume matters. Right. You you know, it's, it's not, it's not the the quality quality of your friends. It's the quantity. Mm -hmm. So, um, I told my kids because they were complaining that they only have, you know, two friends or whatever. And I said, I have two friends. Yeah. I have hundreds of acquaintances. Uh I have two people maybe that I would 
bare my soul to. And I'm not a, like a traffic and weather girl. I want yeah. to I, I talk to people about their souls. Tell me, you know, what's, tell me about your childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> I want to know about people's lives. And if people don't reciprocate, then mm-hmm. we're not friends. We don't have anything to talk about. So that's why I'm single. <laughs> because, because I'm a lot. <laughs> I have, I have a lot of feelings about things and it's kind of a turnoff to people, but especially women, you know, they want to talk about surface level things and I just don't care. I don't care. You want to know what else they like talking about? Yes. Themselves. Oh yeah. I I also, I do like to talk about myself though. I I think everybody does. I do like that. (laughs) And that, but that's the easiest way Mm -hmm. to, um, sell things to people and I don't want to use the word manipulate, but manipulate yeah. people sure. is you just ask them questions about themselves yeah. and they offer up so much information. Oh yeah. And so then, then you are able to sell them whatever it is that you have. That's like the best, that's the quintessential first date trick. You want them to like you, ask them a bunch of questions <laughs> and get them talking about themselves. And they're like, wow, this Patrick's such a nice guy. Yeah, he's really sweet. He asked me so many things about me. Really interested. I just got to talk about myself and I love hearing about myself. Yeah. Yeah. People like that. Mm -hmm. It's true. But I mean, it is, it is what it is. So, you know, know, to be fair, we all feel comfortable talking about ourselves because it's a subject we're familiar with. Right. I mean, I do it as a pastor. When I meet a new mm-hmm. person, I try to ask them questions and get them talking about themselves because well, number you one, relate to them. Yeah, I do want to get to know them, and it it, it does make it easy, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like you know, question one, where do you work? You know, question two, uh, oh, you know, where did you guys meet? You know, question three, mm-hmm. are you tithing? If not, get get out of my church. <laughs> <laughs> We only want your money yeah. and your souls, souls and money. If you don't have it, get out. Oh, my soul. That's so terrible. <laughs> so bad, but it's true. And I think I did a podcast about that, about like, you know, what is it that we say when we talk about ourselves and then when we talk to ourselves? Mm-hmm. So I say hurtful things to myself a lot. And I think we all do. It's not good. Mm-hmm. You're your own biggest critic oh, and yeah. judge. Sometimes it's okay. Sometimes I think you need to remind yourself um, to have humility. I do. But maybe in a little bit nicer of a way. If I had to pick someone to be a harsh critic about, I think I should pick my wife. why no i'm just messing around (laughs) no if if i had to be a harsh critic about someone it should be you know the guy in the mirror that would be the best one because honestly you know i want to work on cleaning up my side of the street i want to focus on you know my problems i don't need to you know worry about yours i have plenty of my own so if i i think that's a pretty fair and reasonable idea being harder on you know, yourself than on other people. I I don't think that's bad or unhealthy, you know, there's, there should be a balance. You don't (laughs) want to attack yourself 
and say, you don't want to look in the mirror and say, you piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Do, do a good job today. Yeah, that's what a pastor's you deserve, for. You don't deserve to. <laughs> you know, you, you have to give yourself, say, do a good job today because mm-hmm. that's what we expect of ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, be the best version of yourself. Be whatever it is that you want to be. Um, but don't beat yourself up. Mm-hmm. I am a firm believer in uh, what you say to yourself really does matter. Truly. It, I mean, if you're going to manifest anything in your life, don't yeah. say negative things. Yeah. So. All right. Which direction do you want to go? I feel like it's time for uh-huh. you to ask me a question so I can talk about myself okay. more. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. One thing that I get a lot from people mm-hmm. um, is their lack of direction in life and lack of purpose. Um, people, and especially like in our age mm-hmm. who are kind of in this middle aged group and they say it's, you know, you have a middle age crisis and I say it's a middle aged awakening. We've gotten to this point in our lives where you realize what is important in life, what you want, what you value. And it's not so much as a crisis as you're just, your eyes are open to who you are as a person and who you want to be. But a lot of people that I know are struggling to find who they want to be. They have a lack of purpose. They have a lack of drive. And so a lot of people are asking, how do I find my purpose? The best advice that I have said is sometimes you don't search for your purpose. Your purpose finds you in doing the things that you enjoy and know you should be doing. However... There are still people that cannot find those things. They're stuck, whether they have gotten recently divorced, they are new job, new whatever. People are lost and without something to do. So what do you say to people who are looking for a purpose? Pray more. That's what that guy said to me. Oh, I know. That was the joke. I was saving it the whole your, time. Your, <laughs> your jokes suck. This is offensive. <laughs> okay, so here, so my, my, my first gut reaction, short answer. Yes. Is, um, is I don't know. Okay. And, and he, okay. no, no, no. And he well, you and, wouldn't know anybody's purpose. No, but, he, and here's the reason. Okay. So let me give you the reason. For me, so let's see, I am, uh, I've been married 17 years. Okay. I knew- To the same person. To the same person. Mm -hmm. I knew that I wanted a big family from the get-go. I knew I really liked kids and, and part of this philosophy came from the Bible. Okay, the Bible says that children are a blessing of the Lord- Okay, you know, it's something that we should want. They're they're great. They're to be celebrated. Okay. So I I knew that I wanted a big family. My wife and I got married. I was 26, she was 25. We I mean, we got pregnant 2 months into it, you know, pretty quick. We were having kids and my three oldest kids right now are 16, 15 and 14. Wow. Which means 
they were two, one, and newborn at a time. Yes. Yeah, that was a circus. So we were real busy right away. I was self-employed. My wife was staying home with the kids. We didn't have two nickels to rub together. And we were the happiest we'd ever been. We -hmm. had all of these bundles of joy that just wanted nothing more than to see daddy when he walked through the door and mumble whatever gibberish they learned that day, (laughs) you know, and just play and wrestle. And I mean, it was just so wonderful. So for me, we continued having kids. So today, all six of our kids are the ages 16, 15, 14, 12, 10, and 8. And I had a friend of mine who I was talking to just last week, and he asked me a question, and it was about regrets. And I told him the only thing that I regretted in my life was not having more kids. I wish that we had several more. And... Keep in mind, having kids in and of themselves is not going to bring you satisfaction or happiness, but giving up a big part of your life and pouring your life into them and training them and teaching them all the things that you wished you learned when you were a kid and and doing all the activities that you wished you got to do, you know, as a kid, um, that has brought me more joy and and more purpose in my life than anything ever has. And and my youngest is eight. Like there's, I'm still in the throes of this. My oldest now has his driver's license and is working, mm-hmm. but you know, but my youngest one, I mean, you know, he still can't get a cup out of the upper cabinets without a stool, you know, <laughs> yeah, little. Yeah. So for me, well, I didn't have to find purpose in my life because I had it in my family. Now, as far as my work and for men, I can say that our work is important to us. It women might be exactly the same. I have no idea. I'm just speaking on behalf of all men because, you know, they elected me as their representative. So as far as men go, we derive a lot of our self-worth and our identity from our job. Yeah. Now my job, which I'm a plumber, I do plumbing, heating and cooling. And I'll tell you that when I was in high school, I never dreamed about fixing toilets. I got into here it. You are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I got in here. I got into this trade because no one else wanted to do it. And I could make a good living to support my wife who wanted to homeschool the kids. And we could live on a single income as a family of eight if I did this job that I have. My job still sucks sometimes. I I do enjoy a lot of it. I like I get to work with people. I like I get to use my brain. I get to work outside a lot. There's a lot of things I like, but let me tell you, um, it is not working in an office in the air conditioning when it's 110 degrees out with a coffee machine right around the corner. That is not my job. My job was not, and and here's another one, okay? I am never going to cure cancer. I am never going to walk on the moon. I am never going to change the world as a plumber. 
and I'm fine with that. Someone's going to change, whatever, leave it to Elon Musk. Okay. You know, he's going to walk on Mars. Good for him. Maybe he'll cure cancer too. Okay. Wonderful. (laughs) My job doesn't have to bring me purpose. My job needs to bring me money. And that money I use to support the things in my life that I love more than anything in the world. You know, my wife and kids, which bring me more happiness and fulfillment than anything. Along with that, when I was about 22 years old, uh, 21 years old, a friend of mine gave me my first Bible. I read through it. I really liked it. I was on a journey of self-improvement through Alcoholics Anonymous and sobriety. And this was really helpful. It helped me drop several bad behaviors that were holding me back. I, you know, read through the entire New Testament. I got a full Bible. I read through the whole thing. I liked learning about it. I had a lot of questions. I enjoyed you know, this new, you know, path of discovery and study. Um, I started going to church. That was a whole new thing. Um, I found, you know, uh, some that I didn't like and some that I did like. But what I realized was um, God was going to be a big part of my life. I didn't know how, but I knew that I was going to get a lot of answers um, in church because that seemed to be where all the Christians hung out. And there are a couple of sharp ones that knew the Bible real well and were willing to take the time to help me and help me learn it. Between those two things, I have found all the purpose, you know, in my life. With that being said, I'm an NRA instructor. I like teaching people about guns. I am a member of the Libertarian Party. I like going to those mixers and eating pizza and complaining about the government. There are lots <laughs> of things that bring me joy. You know, I like hunting. I, my wife and I like our garden. We like, you know, growing produce. Um, there are a lot of things that bring me joy, but really none of those things are, you know, they're all hobbies. They're not, they're not making me feel like I have a purpose in life. My number one purpose in life is that my favorite title that I bear, and that is father. That's good. And do you think, do you agree with me? I'll put it this way. Do mm-hmm. you agree that people as a whole, each individual does not have just one purpose? And as we grow and change, as does our purpose. Oh, yeah. And you got to remember, so I would even go so far as to say that, Amy, this week, God's purpose for you is this situation because you were made just for it to help an individual, to help a business with a situation, to help a group, whatever, you know, and this month, you know, your purpose is person A, person B, and person C. You don't know who they are, but you're going to run into them. And, you know, um, several things that God has prepared you for and, and lessons you've learned that other people have not learned, you are going to be able to affect their lives in a great way. And then... And you don't know. No. And then it's going to... I may never know that nope. I've fulfilled these purposes. 
a lot of times it doesn't it, it's not fun it doesn't you know it's not going to make a t-shirt it's not sexy we just do the next right thing right you just do the next thing and that's i think that's so true because if we did know right if we knew every single thing that we had accomplished um helping this person a b or c then i start to feel proud mm-hmm. and i feel like i'm better than other people I tell people a lot of times, I have no idea what, you know, and keep in mind, we're, we're talking to a pastor here. So, okay, it's going to have this slant on it, but people will ask, (laughs) you know, what did God put me here for? Okay. That's kind of the question as far as the, what's my purpose. And the short answer is always, I don't know. Okay. Cause I'm not God, but I guarantee that there are going to be some things that you are here for that you just it just works out with you and it doesn't work out with anybody else. And I don't know when you're going to get told when that is. Okay, Moses was 40 years old. He ran away from Egypt. He hid in the desert for 40 more years. Didn't really do anything for God. Then when he was 80 years old, 80, that's when he saw the burning bush. Yeah. For 40 years, he lived in the desert thinking he was a failure. He gave up being Pharaoh's son or grandson anyhow. Yeah. And he must have felt like a complete failure, but God was preparing him for what he wanted him to do. I, and sometimes I, I don't want to have that kind of patience though. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to wait till I'm 80. I want to do something important now. Now okay. is when it matters to me. Do you think that some people look past what God has put in their life as an important thing because they, uh, let's go back to the Hollywood has ruined, you know, relationships with the romantic comedy. Okay. Where, you know, they meet and, you know, they ride off into the sunset to live happily once in a while. And we see that and we're like, (laughs) oh, that's what I should have. It's like, well, right. no, it's 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 movie, you know, that's it's no more realistic right. than Spider-Man. Uh, so that's not real life. And people maybe, you know, they get the same idea where it's like, no, 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 you know, God's going to use me for something amazing and something great and something, you know, earth shattering. Right. And it's like, well, OK, we're not all going to cure cancer. One person yeah. is. All right. So, you know, one of God's purposes for me is sadly still fixing toilets you know and but here's the thing okay you ready for this i'm I'm gonna tell you this one look me in the eye and tell me that society today lies to women and says that you being a mother is a joke and what you should be doing is x y and z and being a mom Mm -hmm. isn't even that important that narrative is pushed so much and it is nonsense what changes yeah. the world are strong families and yeah. mothers who put the time and energy into their kids to make them wonderful. You know, the, get, how many how many parades have you seen where, you know, on the float, you know, waving to the crowd, it's a mom. And they're like, yeah, yeah. But what'd she do? Oh, nothing. She's just a mom. That's yeah. an important job. Being a mom is an important job. Being a dad is an important job. And I think a lot of parents look past that as like, no, 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 no. Really? What's my purpose? 
It's got to be something. Because the fact is, my purpose needs 10,000 followers on a social media platform. Otherwise, it's not legitimate. Right. Right. Well, and that's it. We're all very selfish Mm -hmm. because we're human. And Mm -hmm. we want the purpose to be about ourselves. And I've even thought that is my purpose may not be me. My purpose may be raising my kids to do something great. And they're going to do something great. Right. And Mm -hmm. they're going to do something that's going to help thousands or millions of people. It may not be me and I may not ever see it. Yeah. And I have to be okay with that answer and not going, but what do I get out of it? Mm -hmm. I want something because we want a recognition, right? We all want to feel special. We want to feel like we've done something. My purpose was important. And now everybody's looking at me saying, wow, she's really great. Like she's accomplished so much in her life, but it's not about what other people think about me. And it's not even always what I think about myself. It's, but the end game, what is the goal? And sometimes that goal seems like it's so far away. This is totally unattainable. So I think that's where we kind of get lost and especially lost in translation is we forget what we're doing and it's hard to do the next thing when you can't remember that there's more than just you. So I think we tackled that subject really well. Yes. (laughs) I think we did. We did such a good job. (laughs) Look how great we are. My purpose today was be amazing. Mm-hmm. Check. Nailed it. Fulfilled that. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> oh, so funny. Well, I think that we've covered a lot mm-hmm. in this span of time and a lot more on God and the Bible and religion than I thought that we were. I was going to ask you that. How much God and religion and church and the Bible did you think was going to be in this episode of the podcast? Because, okay, this episode is very different from most of your episodes. Yes. Yes, it is. It's very different. I am curious to see the reaction you get. Uh, I am too, because it's so, it's, I don't want to feel like I have two versions of me and in some ways that there are, because there is this side of me that stays true to what I believe. And then there's this other side of me that's, I don't want to say like the lost version, but it's the version that isn't really sure where I want to go or what I want to do with it. It's, it's up in the air when people are insulting Mm -hmm. towards God and faith Mm -hmm. or whatever, I get defensive and I say, "Mm, you know, don't, don't talk like that. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, I do nothing to support it. So, (laughs) so how how good am I really doing? I don't know. I don't know where I stand with it. It's, it's it's very hard for me and I don't like when people shove it down my throat. Mm -hmm. I think that it's such a personal relationship if you're going to have a relationship with Jesus and God that you, it's you, it's all you. And when churches throw these rules out and say, you have to wear a skirt and you can't cut your hair and you can't wear makeup. And we only sing these songs. Are these songs sanctioned by God? Did he write them for us? 
why are these the only ones that we can do? This is the only style of music we can sing. These are who made these rules humans. Mm-hmm. And that's when I have a problem with it because we're humans and we make it up as we go. I live in an area that's very populated by the LDS church. Oh yeah. We all Idaho. We, <laughs> you might call, you might as well call it Salt Lake city 2.0. I think Salt Lake city is way more progressive than we are even. I mean, it's come a long way. There's a lot more Mormons here. Hey, you so know what? They love rules. I was just impressed that you guys had the internet up there. Wow. Okay. <laughs> when I moved here, I'll be honest, when we moved to Idaho, it was sight unseen. Mm-hmm. It was, what year is this? 23. So it was 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I honestly, when we moved here, I uh, didn't know that that Boise was a city. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that people lived here. I thought they only grew potatoes. Mm-hmm. Um, no clue. Had no idea. Thought it was absolutely in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing pretty good for what they have, I think. so They're moving up. Okay, so my version of Idaho is like down south, <laughs> it's all Mormons, and up north, it's all white supremacists. Yes. <laughs> yes. Is that... That's exactly moderately right. accurate. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't and seen potatoes any white supremacy, everywhere. but I've heard about it. So my father-in-law will get door hangers put on his door. Okay. For like white supremacist, you know, you propaganda go. meetings where they, you know, they go out and just, you know, put up door hangers and invite people to their... I don't know what they are. I told my, my wife was like, can, you know, she's like, man, that's, you know, that's pretty weird. I was like, sweetie, I hate to tell you. <laughs> okay. But if one of those door hangers end up there when we're visiting, I am going to that meeting. Cause let me tell you, go. I am curious. We got to know. Oh it man. Yeah. Well, I was like, like wanna, I want to know what goes on. The, <laughs> do you want to join the Northern cult or the Southern mm. cult? Mm. So do you want to have a super white wife or do mm-hmm. you want to have 20 wives? Or do you have, yeah. Do you want to have several? What's your fancy? <laughs> that's a tough, that's a coin toss. Hey, you could have so many more kids though. Oh yeah. Yeah. If you started Purpose having built. like five or six mm-hmm. wives, but then I would blow my brains out and they'd all be orphans. <laughs> so I don't know if that would, I don't know how hey, that would work out. Be choosers. I'm trying to, I'm giving you solutions and you are giving me excuses. You're giving me options. And I turned one of those options down. (laughs) Okay. I'll keep thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, You could adopt a lot of kids. Yeah. I agree. You could. You know. I thought about it. It's it's a lot. The wife and I have talked about not adoption, but we've talked about like having kids. And and, and when we Mm -hmm. first got married, I told my wife, I said, look, we can have as many kids as you want. Okay, uh, doesn't matter how many kids we have. I said we are having zero pets in the house. That's a rule. Okay. Okay, but as many kids as you want. I said, but you're the one that has to, you know, carry them to term. You're the one that has to deliver them. And the fact is, you're the one that has to take care of them for the most part because 
I mean, I hate to say it. I still wake up in the morning and, you know, I leave and I go to work and she's the one that is homeschooling them. And, you know, at one point was, you know, changing most of the diapers and, you know, I mean, that's, that's the, the lot in life. If you have a big family with little ones and the mom staying at home, it's like, she really has the burden, not so much me. I get to go off and hang out with adults and just work and make money. So I told her from the beginning, I said, look, when you feel like we've hit our limit as far as you think this is enough we should we should not have more kids just let me know and that's when we'll stop you know and when she was pregnant with number six that's when she said you know what i think this is it i think we're gonna call it quits and then i asked her i said okay well you know i'm happy to uh go to the doctor and make sure it doesn't happen again i said but are you sure that maybe like you know five years down the road you wouldn't you wouldn't maybe want another kid and she's like patrick five years down the road i'll be 40 and it's like oh yeah yeah Yeah, i guess not oh yeah yeah so that was it and we're like okay well you know we we have six and adoption has Mm -hmm. never been brought up and i think my wife would possibly murder me in my sleep (laughs) if i even said the a word um so yeah yeah so that's where we are i struggle with two i can't imagine six yeah that's tough i mean i i don't know how people do it i don't know how how she does it i don't know how how other single parents survive i don't know how i'm supposed to work a full-time job and have kids i haven't figured it out yet honestly i uh i've never understood how anyone can be a single mom I mean, that is, it's not meant to be, no, it, it, I can it, tell you that much. It looks, it looks so difficult. Um, it is, it is difficult. I have, uh, no time to myself. I have mm-hmm. to wake up at four thirty every morning, uh, get my kids up at five, get them out of the door at six um i have to be at work no later than seven i usually work till four or later it depends on if it's harvest season then i'll work till yeah who knows when you know who knows when um get off of work pick them up at boys and girls club which thank god i don't know what i would do without them Mm -hmm. they have a van that picks the kids up from school and takes them to the club i pick the kids up get them home by five thirty, six o'clock ish. Mm-hmm. We have dinner, hang out for a minute, go to bed and do it all over again. So it's, I don't know. I don't know when people do kids homework. I don't know when people <laughs> clean the house. Um, I struggle finding time to work out. Like mm-hmm. it's, I don't know. I have, I've had to become organized. Oh yeah. Basically. Well, with two kids, only two. Yeah, but I mean, honestly, you, you know, you said, um, you said, I don't know how people do it with six kids. I struggle with two. We struggled with six. Don't, don't you know, you are not alone in struggling with kids. Kids are nothing but a struggle. They're very kids hard. They require so much time. You know, they, they, it is, it is so easy to mess them up you know, in so many different ways. Well, and when people say, well, it's fine, they're just kids, Mm -hmm. but someday they won't be. 
Yeah. Someday they will be hopefully participate participating members of society. Yeah. That I will have done something right with. They're not just kids. So, you know, for people who are like, let the TV be a babysitter or oh, let yeah. their kids eat whatever. Yeah. I just I don't want to judge you, but I'm judging you. Yeah. Because what are you teaching them? Your job as a parent is void at that point because you're not doing anything. I mean, I get it. There's times I've parked my kids for sure. I oh, need yeah. a break. I need 30 minutes to myself, but it's not every day, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not something that I rely on. Um, and I force my kids to do chores. They, when they wake up in the morning they're and they're little, they're seven and they're nine and yeah. they wake up, get dressed. And I say, you have to make your own lunch for school. Mm-hmm. And they do, they make their own lunch. I don't have time to do it. Yeah. So I mean, that, I make them do things, but I hopefully when they're big, they'll be like, my mom made us make lunch. Look at us. We're chefs. You yeah. know, or they're going to do something with their life and not be like, my mom was so mean. She made me make a sandwich. No, believe me. It, it, it's all, <laughs> it's all good for them and it will help them in the future. Every single thing that you make them do, it is good for them. And honestly, when they have chores and responsibilities, um, they feel safe because they live in a place with structure where they know what to expect. And even if it's very busy, even if it's dirt poor, okay, my mom grew up dirt poor, but you know, her home was stable and she was the happiest kid in the world, you know? So believe me, um, it's, I'm sure they're doing great. I'm sure they're going to turn out great. And I'm sure you've even had several times where you see something and you're like, holy cow, that's amazing. Are those my kids? Wow. I I really got to be doing something right. I I have those (laughs) moments all the time. I'm like, wow, where did they learn that? Yeah, there are times. The best is when we're in public and they see other kids acting up. Yep. And they'll go, do you see that kid? And they're like, just so offended, you know, by how this kid is acting. Probably yep. like, can you, can you believe that? Like, no. Aren't you glad that you're not that kid? Like, oh, that is embarrassing. It is uh, embarrassing. <laughs> that's awesome. So, yeah. So hopefully they grow up to be decent, decent souls. And, you know, they're, they're individuals. I can't force them to do anything. I can't make them do anything. They are outside of my circle of control, uh, which is, of course, myself and my own actions. But all I can do is teach them. I mean, just they have their own circle of control. And sometimes they forget that. And that is challenging. Um, How old until you'll have one of your kids on as a guest? I tried doing it mm-hmm. earlier. And that's back when I knew absolutely nothing about my computer. Yeah. And I lost the recording. So oh, how did it go? It was a little slow. Uh-huh. Uh, I, the, my son, who's younger, he did a lot better mm-hmm. than my daughter. She's very um, unsure of mm-hmm. herself. She doesn't quite have that confidence yet. So she, she wanted to say, if I asked her a question, she wanted it to be the right answer. Sure. And for him, he just wanted, I to wanted talk. her to say it. Yeah. yeah. And she just wanted to, to be right. And mm-hmm. I said, you don't need to be right. Just say, yeah, 
what you're thinking. Say yeah. it comes out of the heart. And whereas Rutland, he's just like, blah, here's some shit. Here's some boy stuff. You know, mm-hmm. he doesn't care. Yeah. So. I still haven't had my kids on yet. What would you talk to them about? I have no idea. And it's funny because we talk all the time. Like I take my kids to work with me and they're with me for eight hours in the day. And sometimes they'll really, Oh yeah. And so, you know, cause we homeschool. So that's one of the, that's you know, right. one of the benefits is so sometimes they'll ask a question and we'll start, you know, chit chatting for 20 minutes, half an hour, an hour about whatever. And you know, it's great. I should really write down some of those subjects and, you know, bring them on and, you, you know, and have a conversation. I still haven't done it yet. I don't know. I need to do it sooner or later. You should. It would be cute. My my newest regular guest is my wife. See, I think that's wonderful. Yeah. I've really enjoyed it. And I think they've been some of my most popular episodes. Because all we talk, well, mostly what we talk about is family. Which, you know, uh, obviously a lot of people can relate to. So, well, and it's a time for you guys, not only to genuinely speak, mm-hmm. but to have that open dialogue and where other people can go, oh, hey, there are other people out there like me. There's yeah. real people out there with real family issues. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of us forget that other people do have real lives. Mm-hmm. You know, it, from the outside looking in, maybe your life looks perfect to somebody. And then you start talking about having a bad day with your kids or you had a bad day at work or things happen and they're going, hey, wow. I didn't know that, that they were real people. Yeah, his life falls apart too sometimes. That's so crazy. Mm-hmm. You feel like a disaster. Weird. Well, I hate to tell you, we are rounding 9 p.m. here. I know. it. I just looked at that. And we're almost at two up. hours. Do you want God. to do an outro? Thank you. What? An outro. No, you do it. I'll, you do I'll, it. Okay. This I will is do your it. show now. <laughs> You've commandeered it. Okay. Everybody, thank you for joining us this evening. It wasn't our regular night. And thank you for my co-host, Amy Odom. It's pronounced Odom. You're welcome. It is. You did good. And you can find her podcast anywhere that you find a podcast. And it is called the self-subscribed podcast. And I believe this episode might be her first episode in her second season since the last episode. Yeah. Very good. So uh, be sure, be sure to look for that. And I'm going to put it up on the Bible Thumper podcast and um be sure to visit us at biblethumperpodcast.com you can find our podcast there our facebook page our youtube channel and we appreciate you liking subscribing sharing all the you know usual stuff that you do so with that amy i really appreciate you inviting me onto your podcast and uh, i hope we get to do it again sometime okay have a good have a good night everybody thanks bye